Hi, I'm Samantha Knox. I've been coming to church here for about a year and a half. I'm originally from Southern California. Um, I grew up not going to church. Um, was raised without my father. And in middle school, I began doing drugs, drinking. Um, by the time I was in my late teens, I was getting high and drunk every day. I was constantly searching for something um, to fill a void in my life, um, for my life to have a purpose. And um, I moved to Texas and I started going to church and I began to study the word and what God's grace truly meant. It was never taught to me before. And I began to um, really search the scriptures about what Jesus did, um, what he did on the cross for me became real. And um, God called me to minister to others. And I began to find my purpose in life. And I was able to minister to teenagers, um, single moms, victims of sexual abuse. Um, and just he ultimately changed my life in a way that it gave me purpose. And I was no longer searching for something to fill a void. Um, God filled that and his grace was abundant in my life um, and it continues to be abundant in my life and um, if you are searching for something in your life to to fill a void or, or for what your purpose is in life if you will take that that step to Christ um, surrender your life to him and and he will begin to um, to show you how real he is and what he did for you on the cross and his grace will become real and um, I just encourage you that if make that step to Christ and to begin to study who he really is, um, he will He will change your life. Well, how many can say I believe that's true? Yeah. Searching for hope, searching for meaning, trying to find a sense of purpose in life. How many know that's common to all human beings? And Jesus, as she said, and I'll say the same thing to you, Jesus is the source of a better life. He is our answer. John chapter 10, verse 10, my text this morning, Jesus himself said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The Message Bible says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Now, Jesus is not speaking about, uh, you know, riches for everyone. He's not speaking about a problem-free life. But what he is talking about is he's talking about a life with meaning, a life with purpose, a life with hope and confidence and peace in the storms of life. And ultimately, he's talking about a life that has confidence for life after death, and it's called eternal life. And I've entitled the message, A Better Life, and my intent this morning is very simple. It's Family and Friends Weekend. I want to talk to you about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I was raised in church, thrilled to be able to raised in church, believe the Bible all my life, knew about Christ in my head, get in trouble, offer up a quick 911 prayer. But that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about a real relationship with God. I'm talking about something on the inside that changed when we turn from following ourselves to following the Christ of the cross. And all of us today are at some level in a relationship with Christ. You could be here this morning because your wife or mom took you by the ear and said you're going to church this morning and may not care much about Christ, but I perhaps I can share something that might help you a little bit, at least to inform you. Others are here today, and perhaps your life with Christ is sometimes you're close to the Lord, and other times the world pulls you back, and you kind of live in two worlds. 
maybe you're here today and maybe you are uh, doing your best to love the Lord with all your heart. Wherever we are, I hope today that I can make your relationship with Jesus more meaningful. And uh, I want to do that this morning in three ways. Number one, I want to talk to you about a man, a historical figure. His name was Nicodemus. He was searching for a better life. I want to talk to you about how we can personally experience salvation, a real relationship with God. And lastly, I want to share some of the benefits that I've found as a Christian for 40 years about cultivating a relationship with God. So let's begin John chapter 3. I've entitled the morning's message, A Better Life. Okay. John chapter 3. Let's look at Nicodemus. He wanted a better life, and Jesus told him, you must be born again. Let's look at John 3 chapter 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader. Now, he was what I'll call, he had it all. Uh, he was a teacher. He was a part of the, uh, he was a Pharisee, a part of the ruling council. It's like we might call a senator in America today. Uh, this was not a down and outer. He was an up and outer. He represented the Jewish people. Uh, he, the, he was in charge as the Sanhedrin over their civil law, their religious law, as they related to the nation of Rome. This guy had it all, but something was missing in his life. He was a religious man, but he didn't know he didn't know God. Verse 2, he comes to Jesus at nighttime and said, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Well, I suggest to you today that he had it half right. Certainly God was with him. Jesus had miracles that was, were in his life. He was able to do things that made him distinct from any other. His resurrection from the dead proved that he was more than just a man. But Jesus himself claimed more than that. Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to have left heaven and come to earth for one specific reason. That is so he could restore our relationship with our heavenly father. In verse 3 in their conversation, Jesus replied to him, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this word born again, it literally means born from above. It refers to a, a heavenly birth, a spiritual transformation, a spiritual birth that you are transformed, as we read, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. Now, broadly, as we look at the world, the Bible tells us that there are two kingdoms. It is not the British monarchy that has the, that has the queen and the United States, the UN. It's not governments like that. But broadly, it's, it is the kingdom of God where he rules and he reigns. Uh, it is the kingdom of darkness as opposed to the light. It is that place that's under the dominion and control of Satan. If you look at evil in the earth, whether it's the tragedy of a church shooting, uh, you look at violence, you look at death around the world, they all stem from this kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And the problem is we can't just get to the kingdom of light on our own. There's not enough good I can do to save myself. Uh, if I'm a jumper, uh, I might can, can jump this far and be pretty good. But how many know if the kingdom of God ultimately to get to it is that door over there, I don't care how far I run back, I can give it my absolute best shot, but I just can't make it. No matter how good I am, I can't buy my way into heaven, I can't do enough good things I can't go to church enough times. I can't listen to enough sermons. I can't give enough money to get into God's kingdom because the problem of my sin separates me, and that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to bridge that gap, and he called it being born again. 
Now he went on to say, verse 4, Nicodemus now, a very smart religious man, he said, well, what do you mean? How can an old man go back in his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. So what did he mean? Clearly, the spiritual rebirth is what the Holy Spirit does when we believe in Christ and begin to follow Him. The Holy Spirit does that work. But this born of water could be a couple of things. One, it could be a reference to our natural birth, when you know the water in the womb, when it broke and we came into the world. It could also be a reference to John the Baptist. Uh, Nicodemus knew him, knew about him. He was baptizing people in water. His was a baptism of repentance that literally called people to turn from their sin. And when they repented and turned to God, that's when they were spiritually born again. But uh, Jesus said humans can only produce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And notice this phrase, don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. That is universal, it is absolute, that it, it is a personal necessity for any person that's willing or that desires to be a part of God's kingdom, there's got to be a spiritual birth on the inside. And I want to suggest to you there's absolutely nothing more important than eternity. Heaven and hell are real. One day this life will be over. And I can tell you, friends, there's a lot of important things in your world and my world. Uh, Texas duck season started yesterday. Pretty important. I didn't go, but I heard him shooting on the lake. It made me, it made me envious. Uh, my daughter, Rebecca, she's thinking about college. Made a 32 on her ACT. Really proud of her. She did great. But guess what? Now she's going to pick a college. That's super important. But there's something more than important than this. There's something more important than what happens on this earth. Our pleasures, our hobbies, our jobs, our fun, the life that we desire to live. It's the eternal kingdom of God. And Jesus said, you can't enter this unless you're born again. Now, in my own life, I was raised in church. M many people are raised in church, but going to church won't get you to heaven. It's a good thing. It helps you on the journey, but it can't get you into heaven. Uh, I, I, if you would have asked me as a teenager, what do you have to do to go to heaven? I would have probably said, well, you just have to be more good than bad. You have to go to church. You have to try hard. You have to be a good person. But the problem is you can never be good enough to get to heaven. And I remember when I was searching for God, and, and we all have moments in time when it seems like God is near to us, He's real, it's almost like a knock on the door. I was studying this week at home, and I was upstairs in my study, and, and I, heard, I heard a car drive up outside, and it was like I knew someone was there. They knocked on the door, and there was a time when that knock is there, but how many know if you don't answer the door, they turn and they drive away? He was a mailman. He had a package for me, and, and he wanted to drop it off. I needed to sign something. But yet, if I didn't go to the door, he would drive away. And I suggest to you from personal experience, our relationship with God is the same way. There's times in life where we feel a drawing to God, a, a, a coming close to spiritual things, a knocking. And if we say yes, that's the path to being born again. But how many know we can say no to God? And there's no guarantee that that knock comes again. Well, verse 9, Nicodemus said, Jesus, uh, how, how are these things possible? And Jesus said this, verse 13, he said, The Son of Man has come down from heaven. Jesus was not created at his birth. He somehow took on the form of a human being. 
He was fully God and fully man, and he became a ladder from heaven to earth. Now, how many know if I want to get to heaven, Christ is that ladder. He came down to me, and he is the way, the path to eternal life. And then Jesus gives us this odd illustration. He refers to the Old Testament, and he calls himself the Son of Man coming down from heaven. And he said, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake or serpent on a pole in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up. And then he says, everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Well, what is this whole serpent pole thing? It's a quote from Numbers 21, actually. And in number 20, Numbers 21, you can see that Israel did what they often did, the same thing you and I sometimes do, is we disobey God. We do our own thing. They're complaining. They're out in the wilderness. And God says, judgment comes because of this. And the Bible says that these serpents, these snakes, begin to bite the people. It was a judgment. And, uh, but yet what God told Moses is you make an image of this serpent, you put it on a pole and hold it up in the air, and when someone's bitten, if they look to that pole, if they look to that snake, then they'll be healed. That's kind of the anti-venom. And right after he says that, he said, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus must be put on a pole, put on a cross, and as we look to him in belief, as we turn to follow him, the Bible says it opens the door to being saved or to being born again. Now, how can we be born again? It's more than a title. It's more than a word. How can I experience salvation? Well, let me give you a couple key words here. First of all, we have a problem. It's called sin. Sin has consequences, but how many know there is a solution? Jesus Christ is God's solution, and the decision is up to us. The problem, Romans 3.23, it says everyone has sinned, and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Now, how many know that everyone is you and that everyone is me? All of us. Uh, I, I, my grandson's about six weeks old, going to see him after church today, actually. Spend a couple days with him. But you know what? As cute as he is, people look at him and say, oh, he's just adorable. He's just the, the cutest little baby. Well, he is, but you know what? He's still a little sinner. You say, how do you know that? I can look at the canistracy eyes that this child has, or my wife, and he's inherited the attack. No. We Millers had plenty to go around. But you wait till this child gets a little older, and he will, no one will have to tell him to say, mine. No one will have to tell him how to say, no. No one will have to tell him how to throw a fit. He said, how can such a beautiful little adorable baby suddenly be possessed by the devil? It's sin, friend. This man that walked into a church just a few days ago while people are worshiping God, his wife said he was violent, he was angry, he was abusive, he had hatred in his heart, and his hatred, somehow Satan pushed him over the edge, and he began to murder innocent people. How can that happen? It's the same sin that I have and that you have, whether my sin is somewhat controlled or like his it is full-blown, sin brings death. And the sin has consequences, which is my second point. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the word sin is not very popular today. I can guarantee you, you could watch CNN or Fox News or wherever your news source is, Actually, you could watch pretty much any mainstream TV, any modern show. You could watch it seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and I can virtually guarantee you'd never hear the word sin. 
Sin, by definition, is simply to break God's commandments. It's to do my own thing. It's to go outside the boundaries that God has given for life. And this is what modern man, and I say man, broadly humanity, we don't want boundaries. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We don't want anyone to tell us the difference between right and wrong. But the Bible says that God in his preexistence, God is the one that establishes boundaries and standards. Our choice is to embrace them or go against them. If you don't think sin has consequences, ask people in Hollywood right now. The last list I saw this week, over 70 people have been accused of some form of sexual molestation, of rape, of child abuse, of some form of sexual harassment. And they lived in this world. Come on now, we're not judging because how I many know our temptations are just like theirs. But they lived in this world. Harvey Weinstein lived in a world where he controlled power in Hollywood. And if you wanted to become a star, if you wanted to be named in a movie, you'd have to sleep with him. You'd have to do something. But sooner or later, it stopped. And now, what is it? The, uh, uh, the Emmys or the Oscars, one of the groups have kicked him out for life. Sin has consequences. But it's not just someone far away in Hollywood. My sin has consequences. See, eternity, heaven, and hell are real. How many know God doesn't want anyone to go to hell? God wants everyone to go to heaven, and that's where the solution is, Romans 5, 8. The Bible says God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus' death on the cross is what makes Christianity different from any other religion in the whole world. The world is filled with religious teachers. Listen, if you want to pursue the path of Buddhism, you can live a better life. You can treat people a little better, perhaps. But Buddha never dealt with sin. Uh, Allah does not deal with a pathway to sin as, the, as Scripture does. All the other religious leaders of the world, they're missing something because Jesus said this about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And why is that? It's because Jesus gave himself as a perfect sacrifice for your sins and mine. Let's imagine today if, uh, if let's say, uh, you went out and you bought a shiny new uh, pickup truck. I'm talking about a nice truck. How many likes trucks? Let me see your hand here. How many hate trucks? Let me see your hand. Okay. How many couldn't care less? All right. Well, listen, we're, I'm a truck person. I like trucks. Kind of manly, you know, throw some dirt and rocks in the back of it, hook up a trailer or something to it. But imagine you bought this truck. Let's say you went on out there. Let's say you spent $40,000 and you are liking this truck. You traded in your soul for the next 10 years, but you've got the truck of your dreams. And you're bopping along pretty good in life, but all of a sudden, about month four or five, you can't make the payments. And uh, you lose your job. Uh, maybe the commissions aren't as good, but bottom line, you can't afford to keep that truck. And you start getting letters from Ford Motor Company. At first, the first letter, they welcomed you to the Ford family. <laughs> they sent you your free app, and they talked to you about your first free oil change or whatever it was. But now the letters have changed. Somebody else is sending the letters. It's the wicked stepsister. And she says, if you don't send me money, I am taking your truck in one week from today. Well, can you imagine on the day they're supposed to take your beautiful new truck, you have just got decals on it now. I'm talking about you have ducks landing on the back in the little mirror there. You've got a picture of your deer horns in the back. And, and you've even got a little thing in the, where, where the hitch. I mean, you just this is your truck. But they're going to take it away. And it's the day when they pull the wrecker up to take your truck and tears are streaming down your face. Imagine if somebody... Now listen, you've asked everybody you know. 
you asked your mom, your dad, you asked your ex-wife and your ex-mother-in-law, and nobody will give you money. And as tears are streaming down your face, imagine if a total stranger comes up to you and asks the question, how much do you owe? $43,902.16. And he writes a check for the full amount. And he turns and gives it over to the repo guy and said, I paid it in full. You can keep your truck. You didn't do anything for it. It was my goodness and kindness and mercy that offered this gift to you. That is exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. But how many know the decision is up to us? You see, Christ has done it already. Uh, listen, you can have, you can have medicine. You, you can have a, go to the doctor and the doctor prescribe a cure for your, medicine, for your sickness. But if you don't take the antibiotic, if you don't take the medicine, the disease will still be there. So there's a decision to make. Uh, Romans 10 verse 9, Scripture says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... If you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You say, boy, that sure sounds simple. It is simple. It costs you nothing, but it costs you everything. You cannot earn your way into heaven, but if I could illustrate it this way, every person has been born with a God consciousness. It's like God is in the back seat of our life. Whether, you're, whether you live in Zimbabwe or Texarkana, there's, you have a conscience. There's an awareness of God. You can either cultivate it or you can quench it. But in my own life, I was raised in a small town in Mississippi. I, I learned about God. I knew to pray. I, I think back when I was about 18, driving home one night, had had too many, uh, well, you know, I drank too much. And I was scared. The waterway, the, where I was supposed to go home, it was flooded, and the water was all the way up to the banks on the, on the, on the uh, Highway 51. I pulled over to the side of the road. It was after midnight, and I prayed. I said, God, would you please let me get across? And it was almost like saying, would you kind of get out of the back seat and come up here, you know, where you can look out and make sure I don't get close to the edge? And I got across to the other side. I got home. I put my music back on, Fleetwood Mac, I think it was in those days. And I said, okay, you can... Go back to the back seat now. But something happens when you become a Christian. It's like when you pull over to the side of the road. It's, not, it's, a, it, it, it's a belief that causes change in your life. It's like you pull over to the side of the road. You get out from behind the driver's seat. Go over and open the door for Christ. And invite him to come and sit in the driver's seat. And give him the keys. And say, Lord, I want you to take over my life now. And I want you to take me wherever you want me to go. I want you to be in charge of my life now. And then you get in the passenger seat. That's a picture of what it means to surrender your life to Christ. That's what biblical belief is. Biblical belief is not just factual knowledge about Christ. It brings in this repentance, this change. It surrenders the heart. And it turns to follow him all our days. Come on, give him a good, a good hand. I want to take the last couple minutes and share things that I've not just learned from a book or a class, but what I have learned about life and uh, uh, what the benefits of being a Christian and how if you're truly walking with the Lord, how, the, the, what he offers, because there is a better life that he promises. Let me give you the first one quickly. Jesus offers us a personal relationship with God. Let me read a passage in John 14. Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love him. And listen to this incredible word. We will come to them 
and make our home with them. Somehow, and I cannot explain it, it's like I can't see it, but somehow Jesus said, I'm going to come down that ladder and my Holy Spirit is going to be a part of your life. And if I could contrast, listen, you can come to church and you can sing songs, you can say prayers, you can, uh, if you do a liturgy, you can repeat the words of the prayer or the scripture, and you can have a relationship with God that's arm's length and that's pretty much relegated to Sunday and the good feeling of life is Sunday morning for an hour, or you can wake up on Monday morning and after you get kind of sleepy out of your eye, you can say, good morning, Lord. You can go throughout your day and you can find yourself in a, tr- in, in a tough spot or a decision to make on Monday. And you can say, Lord, what should I do? And it's not a memorized prayer. It's not religious tradition, but it comes out of your heart because you have a real and growing relationship with God. How many know that's one of the greatest benefits we can have? Uh, let me give you another benefit I found to be real. Jesus offers us peace in the storms of life. That same chapter, verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Now, how many know Xanax is not a bad thing, but Xanax will only take you so far? And if you start eating it like M&M's, pretty soon it's not going to work. I'm talking about something that takes you farther than that. I'm talking about a peace that you can find real in the storms of life. I remember... It's five years ago now when my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. Praise the Lord, she's five years cancer-free. But I, I remember in those days of uncertainty before the, before the surgery, before we knew if it was successful, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, might be 2.30 in the morning, and I was thinking about this, and I would just start looking in the dark, feeling around for her hand, Number one, to make sure she was okay, but just to think about the fact that she may not be there in a couple months or a couple years. So in all this emotion that's going on, can I still tell you this, friend? It was hard. It was troubling. But we had peace. Because, as the Scripture says, our God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And our God can be near. It's a real benefit. for. I don't know how people live life without it. One of the things about getting old, you know, I look in the mirror now. And I think, who is that old man? What, what did my father get in my mirror or my grandfather? Anybody else think that way? If you hadn't, you will. And you will come next to your humanity. And you will find that you can't do at 60 what you could do at 30. You will find that the six-pack is a memory You will find yourself in places of weakness. I've been the kind of person pretty much all my life I could do whatever I wanted to. I've never quit anything. I've failed some things, but I, but I never failed to try. And if I failed, then I'd get up and I'd just make myself go. But here's the, the next thing that I have found in Christ is I can find a strength in the midst of my weakness. Paul said these words, and I don't have time to read the whole scripture. But, but, but Paul talked about this. Paul said... God's power is made perfect in human weakness. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now, how in the world could you... It's like you get to the end of your rope, 
and you just can't go any farther. You can't, do, you can't make any more happen. You've reached the boundary. After my wife's cancer, was, she was on the other side. I, I, I guess it was kind of a delayed stress type thing that I had, but I just had an emotional collapse. I, I took three months off work. I didn't feel like I could re-engage my life. And I was not depressed, but I, when I, the thought of going back to church and preaching a sermon, my son was getting married, and it was several months away, and I did not think I could go to the pulpit and, and conduct a ceremony. And if you've never walked through a valley like that, you, you, you can't relate to this, but I'm telling you, I just felt like I couldn't do it. It was a feeling that I'd never had that strong in my life. The doctors, my, my body was okay, but somehow in my mind and the experiences, it just like, I just felt like I couldn't do it. And I'm laying in bed one morning, again, not depressed, but just not knowing how to get, go farther. And I heard this voice, and I don't say that lightly, but I heard this voice when I got out of bed, and it said, when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. And it was just like God was there telling me I'm going to make it. God was there telling me that even though I can't do it on my own, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 1.6, he which has began the good work in you, come on, he will bring it to completion. And for the first time in my life, I said, I cannot do this. And I fully understood it. Can I tell you, friends, one of the benefits of being a Christian is in your darkest moment, in your weakest time, you can find a strength from God, come on, to get up and to keep going and to go forwards again. It is real. I'll close with this one. Jesus offers the power to change. John Newton wrote that great song, Amazing Grace. And part of the song, he said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You know what he was talking about? He was talking about a spiritual rebirth. He was talking about being born again. He was talking about being saved. About his eyes being opened and God becoming real. Did you know this man was, at one time of his life, he was a slave trader? One of the most despicable, horrible jobs. He came to Christ. He had that defining moment when someone gave him a book, Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ. He remembered what his mother taught him as a little boy about God. And he was going this way towards the world. He was living a wild life, a life of debauchery, pulling other people into it, making money off the lives of souls of men and women. And he heard a voice, if I can use that phrase, come unto me. And he turned around, and the man who once worked in the slave industry then fought to stop the slave industry. And God used this man to influence the legislature. They had the governing powers of the nation of England to stop slavery in that nation. He worked with some of the greats of their nation. You say, how can someone change like that? How can the drunkard, how can the alcoholic, how can the prostitute, how can the one that's bound up, come on in, in whatever it may be, how can someone whose life was going totally away from God be a totally different person? Can I tell you, friends, Jesus Christ offers the power to change. And for that, my friends, we rejoice. Give him a big hand today. He's worthy of praise. I'm, I'm going to have one of our, our associate pastor, Pastor Mike. He's going to share some thoughts with you, his own personal testimony. Amen. I want to tell you about a date very important in my life. It was April 18th, 1984. That was the day my first daughter was born. The only thing was 
that date wasn't supposed to happen for another two and a half months. That meant our baby, first girl, Amanda, was born two and a half months early, premature, only weighed three pounds and three ounces. And when I walked into neonative intensive care unit, that day it was more of a nightmare. Uh, little baby, tiny thing, uh, in an incubator, machines all around, a machine doing the breathing for her, machine, a buzzer would go off if her heart rate would slow down or stop. And that uh, buzzer would go off several times an hour, and they just have to tap her to get her to breathe again. And this went on for several months, but after two weeks, they said she has a condition called hydrocephalus, which uh, they had to drill a hole in the skull and put a, a shunt, a valve, to drain it down into the abdomen. And, and every day from day one, they would come in and tell us, you just need to be ready, be prepared, because your baby will probably not walk or talk. And they would say they had these CAT scans, and they would always take them, and they would say that there's not enough gray matter in the brain. So they would just constantly tell us that. And so it didn't look very good. But let me back up uh, four days before that, April 14th, 1984. I was going through life, and I was really feeling like I was doing pretty good. I reached my goals and dreams. I'm in the middle playing professional football, and I go to a chapel service a little time before the football game. And I'd go because I thought, well, maybe God would see me be good luck, or the coach would think I'm a good guy, maybe play me a little more. Or, or uh, you know, I saw Walter Payton going there, so I just follow him. I want to be great like he is. Whatever the case was, I was there that day. And a guy said one thing in that little chapel service, about 20 guys in there. He said, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? And I thought, wow. I mean, I, I just all of a sudden, I don't know. I mean, I was raised in a good, uh, you know, good church and you know, kind of had a religious background and had some knowledge up here, but never got to my heart. When I got to college, was just being you know, stupid and crazy and, and all that stuff. But that day I thought, man. Would I go to heaven? I said, when I get there, maybe I can talk my way in. Maybe I do more good than bad. You know, how does this work? And I'm trying to figure it out. And as I'm thinking that, he draws a circle on his chest. He said, you know, everybody has a hole in their life. It's a God hole. You can try putting drugs, women, money, cars, sports, whatever you want in there. It'll never satisfy you. The only thing that'll satisfy you is a relationship with God through Son, Jesus Christ. And then he just said four things. God loves you and has a plan for your life. I thought, oh, man. I don't remember my dad telling me he loved me much when I was growing up. And just to know I have that plan here, I've reached. I mean, I gotta, I'm playing pro ball. I got a nice car. I got a nice girl. I mean, things ought to be complete, but they feel like something's missing. And, and then he said, because of our sin, we're separated from God. You know, and anybody sinned? And I said, you know, I, I know I had. You know, think bad thought, lie, steal a penny, whatever the case may be. You know, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But then he explained that Christ died for our sins and, and on the cross, and he paid that price. He paid the wage of sin for us. And I knew all that through Sunday school. school. But the last thing he said, you have to individually ask Christ into your life. See, I was waiting for this supernatural moment. I was just going to go through life doing whatever, and I figured, okay, God, when you're ready, just do the bolt of lightning, make it real obvious, man, I'll follow you. Or just give me that audible voice, say, hey, Mike, it's time to follow me, and, man, I'll just go right after him. But I realized that day came down to a decision, that that day was my day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And that was the day he had a hold of my heart, and I realized, you know what? I need to surrender my life. I need to stop doing things my way and begin to follow him. Little did I know four days later I'd be in the middle of that situation. Now, even when I got there, I could have got mad at God and say, man, why did this happen? I just started serving you, and now I get this. I could have got mad at my wife because maybe she's doing too many aerobics or something, and maybe she caused the problem. But, you know, when I said that prayer that day, I was just going to trust God. I was going all in because I had said the little prayer like Pastor John did where I kind of had Jesus in my spare tire. 
some fire insurance, but he, was, he didn't have the wheel of the car. And so I just made a decision. And in our case, a miracle happened. I mean, she was in the hospital two months. We took her home. I had to go play a football game. My wife's on one day. There's complications. Rushes her back to the hospital. And, but we get back, and we're praying and believing for a miracle. The doctors come down to get ready to do surgery. They do one more CAT scan, and then they come in and say, you know, I don't know what's going on here. Everything looks like we should do surgery, but we're just not going to do it. And they said, well, tell them what else. He said, well, we did another CAT scan, and things just look different in her brain. There's just, you know, I'm here to tell you God did a miracle that day. Our daughter's 33 years old and married and graduated from Redwater with honors and played volleyball, and there was a few little bumps along the road. But I'm telling you, God did a miracle, but you know what I decided that day, whether she lived a day, a month, a year, you know, that I was going to serve the Lord. I was just going to have to trust him in this no matter what. And I got that little voice. Pastor got a little voice. I, I was trying to call everybody to say a prayer for me, and nobody answered. And I had to come out of the little payphone booth, and I looked at the end of the hallway in the hospital, and there was a cross above the door, and it was a chapel. And I just went in there and said my best God help me prayer. But I walked out of there with this feeling, everything's going to be all right. Because I said that to my wife every day. Every day the doctors would say something negative. And I just said that. And I realized that was God speaking to me. See, I had started a relationship with him. See, I was playing religion the rest of the time. Religion is man's best effort to reach God. But a relationship was God gets on the inside and begins to walk and talk with you. And he was there walking me through that. Let me tell you about one other important day. It's November 1st. That's the day my father was born. I think that's a pretty important day. Because if that wouldn't have happened, you know, I might not be here right now. But November 1st, we celebrated his 93rd birthday this couple weeks ago. But I did the Connect class like a regular Wednesday night, and I get done, and my wife says, hey, there's a member of our church, uh, you know, Shannon and Shelva. His, his mother's in the hospital, and, and she doesn't seem too bad, you know, maybe flu or pneumonia, and wants you to go by and pray because, you know, he has a hard time. Last time he went to the hospital with his dad, his dad didn't leave. You know, he died earlier this year, about January 8th, and, and he could really use somebody. So we go by thinking we're just going to pray the, you know, you know, God, just have your hand on her and heal her, and, and she get through this all right. And she didn't even tell her kids, you know, when she went in. She didn't want to bother anybody. But we get there, and I walked in there about the same time that Shannon did, and as I get there, the doctor's already out there explaining how we've been trying to resuscitate her for 20 minutes, and we're not having any luck. There's no pulse. And so we just prayed and say, God, you know, because there isn't a point in time. We die but once and then stand before the Lord and there's judgment. And so, Lord, we're, I don't know what her appointed time is, but devil, you're not going to steal her. And we're just praying for a miracle. And we asked the doctor to give him another 10 minutes. And after 45 minutes, they came back and he said, there's nothing we could do. And she went on, left this life. So the miracle we prayed for did not happen that day, but a different miracle happened. It's really a bigger miracle and a better miracle because back when Shannon's father went to the hospital and they had to go in and, and do some something on the tumor and he knew he didn't have long to live, one of his friends came to pray for him who was a pastor. And he prayed for him, but then he asked him that question, are you right with the Lord? We can get that right today. We just got to say a prayer. And he said a prayer to ask Christ into his life. And the neat thing about that, his wife, Shannon's mom, was there that day, and she said that prayer. So when that happened, we had the confidence to know that she went to heaven to be with the Lord. And as I close, I want to ask you that question. Are you 100% sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? Because today's the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. Anybody been to Joe's Crab Shack, and you see that free crab tomorrow? 
I keep going back, and I've yet to get any free crab. Never can find that day. Because today's the day of salvation. And I'm in a moment, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And the reason I'm going to ask you to close your eyes is because I don't want anybody else to be around you. It's like you're standing before God. And is he going to let you in? It's not going to be based on how good or bad you are. It's going to be based on do you have a relationship with God? Have you ever invited him in? Have you been born again? And so I want you to think about that. And then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And when you raise your hand like I did April 14, 1984, you can just repeat a little prayer after me. And it's not so much a prayer. You're going to give God permission to come into your life. And even after I said that prayer, there was no angels come out of the sky, give me high fives, nothing, nothing supernatural happened. But they wrote that date down in a book and gave it to me. And they said, you're going to look back on that day and see a change in your life. And I'm telling you, it was a change for the better. I began to have that sense of peace in my life and that plan, and God helped me walk through a lot of things. And so today, now right before you close your eyes and I ask you that question, I want you to do one more thing. I want you to look at that cross and just look at it a moment because I want to tell you that Jesus died on a cross, something like that, only the Bible says his body was not recognizable as a human because they pulled out every one of his beard hair. They beat him with a cat of nine tails until his organs were exposed, and they nailed him to that cross. And some of you have this religion you call a private thing. Well, it's just between me and the Lord. I'm telling you what Jesus did on that cross was not private. They stripped him, hung him before the whole world. And for some of you today, today's your day to stand up and be bold for Jesus and leave the devil behind you and start following God. So if you'll close your eyes, I'm going to ask you this question. And if you don't know where you'd spend eternity, if you've gotten off a track and you know you're not right with God right now, when I count to three, I want you to lift your hand up with boldness. And you're not voting for the church. You're not joining the church. What you're doing is you're asking God to come in your life. You're giving him permission because he's knocking at the door of your heart right now. And are you going to let him in? Today's the day of salvation. When I count to three, just hold up your hand and we'll say a prayer. One, two, three. And wait till I see your hand. You can put it back down. I see your hand and your hand and your hand and your hand. Yours, yours, yours. Back there, I see yours and yours and yours and yours. I see both of your hands. Anybody over here? I see your hand. I see your hand. Yours. Amen. You can put your hands down and back there. Now I want you to look up here. As we close, I'm going to ask you to do two more things. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask you to come up here in just a moment. And why would you do that? Because this is your chance to stand up, walk away from your old life, stand up for God. And God's, Jesus said, if you stand up before man, I will stand up before my Father. If you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my Father. This is the chance to make it real. And even some of you did not raise your hand, and you have a relationship with the Lord, but you've never done something like this publicly. And I want to challenge you today. Maybe today's today. You need to stand up before the whole world and just really just walk down and make a public profession and maybe get baptized next week. So on the count of three, if you raised your hand or if you know you needed to, I want you to come down so we can say a quick prayer. Amen. And you know what's going to happen when you stand up? The Bible says the angels in heaven are going to rejoice. And I'm going to tell you, this church is going to rejoice. So stand to your feet and come down here. All of you that raised your hand, give them a hand clap. Come on down. I don't care if you've done this before. Come on down. We're going to say a prayer. Give them a hand clap. I know there's more hands. Come on. All of heaven's rejoicing. This is your day. Today is the day of salvation. Today's the day you're going to see a change in your life. Come on, give them a hand clap. We're, we've been praying for you. You know, we skipped the Cowboys game last Sunday and came here and prayed for you. Come on down. God bless you. 
to see some others. Come on. You watch what God does in your life. We're so proud of you. Amen, amen, amen. Now let's just say this simple prayer together, okay? And all this is just giving God permission. I'm so proud of you, but I'm telling you, the devil's a little mad at you, but he just lost, didn't he? Amen? Greater is he. I'm, Jesus is inside you now. you got somebody to help you fight the good fight, and you're going to see victory in your life. Let's just repeat this prayer, everybody in this audience. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I give you permission. Come into my life. Change me. Help me to follow you. I'm going to need your power. So Holy Spirit, fill me up and help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm proud of you. One more thing I want you to do if you can. I want everybody to remain seated for just a moment. But if you'll follow me to our Connect Cafe, we just got a little packet they're going to bring and a little packet to give you and just say a quick prayer. But we just want to give you that packet. It's a little book to help you walk this walk out. Amen. Because it's about a relationship. Okay. God, your Father, having a relationship with you. So one more time, as you go out, you're welcome to give them high fives, clap for them. We're going to go back to the cafe, give you that little packet, and then Pastor's going to close the service out. Thank We're you. proud of you. Follow me back to the cafe. Praise the Lord. Thank God. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Hey, it's been a great day in God's house. We are thrilled you came today. Maybe you're here today and you've not been baptized uh, since you've committed your life to Christ. Next weekend, we're going to have a special baptism service. We've got a little sign-up sheet under the cross. You can sign your name there or call the office this week. We'll baptize in all three services. But we want to close the services away. We'll have one last song and dismiss. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come back to the front. If there's anything that you need prayer for before you go, uh, maybe you just want to talk to someone about your relationship with God. Maybe you weren't comfortable raising your hand and all that, but you want to talk to somebody about your relationship with God. This is the place to do it in a very private moment. So our prayer team's coming to the front right now. We'll sing one last song and go. But if you need prayer or you want to talk to someone about your spiritual life, come and we'll, we'll pray with you. God bless you and I love you.